Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt from Sports Info Solutions, and I'm joined, as always, by Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders. Aaron, we've talked a lot this season about how this was the year of no great teams, and I think I was maybe expecting or maybe at least hoping that that would lead to some different styles of teams advancing deeper into the playoffs this season. I'm not really sure that's been the case. So interesting things about the final four teams in this year's playoffs. None of them had a top 10 defensive DVOA in the regular season. Um, If you look at defensive DVOA that's weighted through the playoffs so far, the Steelers and Pats both sneak in, but really none of these teams are defense-focused. In my mind, all four of them are driven by really good quarterbacks. And I wanted to start today with getting your thoughts on how good these four quarterbacks are maybe in some of the the advanced football outsiders type of of data there. Yeah, it it did look for a while like, you know, this may be the year that we were going to get. We were going to go back to having some big upsets and teams go on crazy playoff runs, and it didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, I suppose Green Bay sort of counts like a crazy playoff, but by the end of the season, they were like seventh or something. I mean, it's not nuts that a team with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback would win a couple of playoff games. Of course not, no. And... um, you know, we didn't end up with two one seeds and two two seeds, but I think we're, you know, this is a good final four. It's, it's you know, Dallas couldn't make it, but otherwise, you know, I think uh, Pittsburgh is a pretty good choice as the sec- second best team in the AFC during the regular season. So uh, the quarterbacks this season were, yeah, really good. Uh, in DYAR, they ranked first, fifth, sixth, and eighth. In DVOA, it's first, second, eighth, and ninth. The difference, you know, the major difference there is just Tom Brady being higher in DVOA because he has more play value per games. play, but yep. missed four, uh, missed four, four games. Makes sense. Yeah. So, like, is that in my mind? That's something that I would think of as being typical, where you know some of the best quarterbacks are making it to the end. Last year we had Denver. That was a little bit of a weird situation. So, is this year more the normal, or or is there normally a team that's sort of upsetting the apple cart in the final four? No, there's there's you know there's often there's a defense first team that has a poor quarterback that ends up in the final four. And you know, six five six years ago when we went through that period where there were a lot of you know sort of surprise teams in the playoffs, we had a number of final fours where there weren't four good quarterbacks and three good quarterbacks. I mean, 2012, you had Joe Flacco and Colin Kaepernick in the Super Bowl. I don't think anybody would have thought of either of them as among the top ten quarterbacks in the league at that point. Yeah, that's true. The year before, Smith and Flacco both made uh, – Alex Smith and Flacco both made the Final Four. The year before that, we had Mark Sanchez and Jay Cutler in the Final Four. We had a couple of years there where Mark Sanchez was in the Final Four. So – it's it's rare to have four offense first teams and Pittsburgh's not really offense first they were really balanced this year because both their defense and offense were sort of on the cusp of the top 10 but it's um it's not un, un, unreasonable to have one team in the final four or two teams in the final four that are really defense first uh, don't have a top quarterback this this is actually more abnormal uh than it is normal yeah well, I think it's probably going to make for some really good matchups this weekend. So why don't we go ahead and dive in and go really deep with these two games, starting with the earlier game of the Packers at the Falcons. Um, so this is one where I'm going to, again, start talking about quarterbacks because obviously Aaron Rodgers has just been out of his mind. At this point, Are there even defenses in this game? <laughs> I no, I don't think so. We'll talk about that, too. 
But the Packers are now up to the number two offense and weighted offensive DVOA, including the playoffs. I looked back just because I was curious back at week 11 at the DVOA rankings uh, that you guys put out. That was just before the Packers had started their, their big winning streak. And at the time, they were 12th on offense. So they've made a pretty substantial improvement over the last, you know, eight or nine weeks or whatever it's been. And I feel like Rodgers has really been at the forefront of it. Like, what do you have on how Rodgers has been playing? Is this like, has he been the best quarterback in the league over that time? Has he been playing better than he ever has before? Do you have any thoughts about Rodgers specifically? Aaron Rodgers has been awesome is not a unique take. No, probably not. (laughs) But, um, you know, as far as the numbers go, Aaron Rodgers has been awesome. So has Matt Ryan. Okay? Since week 12, Aaron Rodgers... DVOA in the regular season, 42.5%. Matt Ryan, 44.2%. Playoffs, Aaron Rodgers, 33%. Matt Ryan, 53%. So has Aaron Rodgers been the best quarterback in football since Week 12? He's been one of the two best quarterbacks in football since Week 12, but everybody is just ignoring what Matt Ryan's doing like we've been dealing with all season, where I've had to argue Matt Ryan is the is the – is the MVP, yeah. you know? I mean, and and he's done that all year. Rodgers has been amazing in the last few weeks. There's no question about it. And if we want to get into an argument here of who has the better receivers and who plays in the better scheme with the better coaching, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I like Kyle Shanahan's scheme better, and yeah, I think Atlanta has better receivers, and yes, Atlanta has a better running game. But, if I mean, as far as the actual production, these two guys have been equal. If anything, Ryan has been a little bit better. Yeah, you know, I think that's supported in a lot of different ways. And just thinking about last week's game as a good example of this, the Falcons scored 36 points on the Seahawks. Obviously, the Seahawks were missing some of their better players, but Matt Ryan was just excellent, and excellent in throwing to the ball to other options than Julio Jones. So it's not like he's relying on his number one receiver. as But, like, but here's the thing. Him. Here's the thing, Scott. Yeah. Matt Ryan did not go on television and promise to run the table. <laughs> yeah. And that makes him inferior to Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback. See, the way to win in the NFL yeah. is to go on television and say things. And when you're not on television much like Matt Ryan, you just can't be considered the best in the game. Yeah, I don't even know if he has a Facebook Live account. So, like, really, how, how important of a player can he be? Um, but I think, too, it might just be that, that Ryan hasn't done this multiple years. Like, obviously, he's been a good quarterback for years, but he hasn't played as well as he's played in 2016, which has been, again, maybe the best of any quarterback in football. He hasn't played at that level for multiple years. Right, and, just and that's what I've been saying during this whole MVP debate is we're not arguing. People are like, well, what quarterback do you want if you have just one game? Well, you know, my knowledge of quarterback ability for the question of who do I want for just one game goes back before September of 2016. Yeah. But if you're asking me who's been the best since September of 2016, it's Matt Ryan. There isn't a question here. But no, this year is an outlier in his career. The way that Brady and Rodgers are playing right now are not outliers in their career. But the way Matt Ryan is playing is an outlier in his career. And we can talk, you know, there's lots of reasons for that. And One of the things that I discovered this week looking at how teams have improved certain units from year to year is that the Falcons have really had the best ever offensive improvement 
for a team that had the same offensive coordinator and same quarterback as the year before. Ryan has just been a completely different guy this Interesting. year. Yeah, that's great. It's not the scheme because they had the same scheme last year, right? I mean, and usually it doesn't take team. You know, yes, uh, teams usually take a step back with a new scheme and then a step forward. But it's there's never been a team that's improved in year two of an offensive scheme like this. So I just really like what Ryan is doing with his decision making. This is kind of tied back to what I was talking about a minute ago about in the Seahawks game, where Ryan, when he targeted Julio Jones, he threw for eight point four yards per attempt. And when he targeted his other receivers, he threw for 9.3 yards per attempt. And only one of those targets to another receiver was having the guy being guarded by Richard Sherman. So it's like he's, he's taking what the defense is giving him and making great decisions, spreading the ball around. It makes it really difficult to defend. And Aaron, I wanted to ask you about the Packers defense, or, or maybe it's their, their non-defense in this case. Like, is there anything about them that might make them better equipped to handle like the, the variety of things Ryan and, and this offense is doing? I mean, here's the thing is that the, the Packers were really good against the run in the first half of the season, but that has really sort of disintegrated. They were 24th in DVOA against the run since week 10 and 27th against the pass. I mean, they've the, the Green Bay defense has declined on um, – has declined both against the run and the pass. The one thing that sort of stands out maybe as, as something that they can do is blitz Matt Ryan. So looking at the Sports Info Solutions pass rushing numbers, I've got broken down by, by number of, of pass rushers. So you look at uh, what Ryan has done this year, and Ryan is like insane against standard pass rushes. Number one in the league, 10.4 yards per play against a three-man rush. Number one in the league, 9.5 yards per play against a four-man rush. But against a blitz, 7.6 yards per play, which is 13th. So much closer to average. And the Packers' defense, and we know that Don Capers likes to draw up especially defensive back blitzes, right? So they've been pretty good when they send three. They're the worst defense in the league when they send four. But they're sixth in the league, allowing only 5.9 yards per play when they send five or more. So it seems to me that looking at the strengths and weaknesses of the two teams, that the Green Bay needs to dial up blitzes a lot and in different exotic ways to get to Ryan. Yeah, I really think that makes sense because I just don't think they have the quality of secondary right now to handle what the Falcons are doing. Dear God, no. I mean... (laughs) None of their primary cornerbacks are in the top 40 in cornerback success rate. Um, so, I mean, that's bad. But then Morgan Burnett, too, got injured last week and could be missing this game. Um, Maybe the best safety on their team. So they're, they're really weak right there and hurt. It's going to be a problem for them unless they can disrupt what Ryan's doing in the first place. Yeah, Micah Hyde is either the best cornerback or the best safety right now, but he can't be both. So <laughs> No, not until they invent cloning. Um so, like, overall, both of these teams are in the bottom 10 in defensive DVOA. So is this game just basically moving toward being another, like, offensive classic like the Packers-Cowboys last week? I hope. Oh, I yeah. This, doesn't this feel like uh, doesn't this feel like whichever team gets the ball last wins? I, I think so. It really could be. Or maybe the and kicking will come into play, too. Last week yeah. I talked about Aaron Rodgers, that Dallas had controlled him in the first game by sending three and dropping eight into coverage a lot. 
And then all of a sudden they were blitzing him a lot last week. And it actually worked really well. But the season-wide numbers still hold, right? Which is that the best way to control Rodgers this year was to send three and put eight in coverage. Atlanta had the worst success rate in the league when they set three and put eight in coverage. Yeah. So don't do that. <laughs> Definitely not. Wasn't what that that uh, the last pass play to Jared Cook? Wasn't that one where the Cowboys were only rushing three? I, I just don't think it was defensible when when Rodgers is that good. Oh yeah, but I mean, I'm just talking about know, the game general, overall. Sure. I, I I was surprised. I mean, they they blitzed and it were, was it was really working. They were especially when they would do a, a zone blitz where they were only sending four, but it was you know there was a cornerback or something coming from an unexpected direction. But I will say Atlanta never big blitzes. They only had nine blitzes of six or more guys from the SIS counting this year. So they either send three, four, or five. They do not send six. Yeah, uh, but Atlanta is just—I mean, you know—if that's the strategy to use against Rodgers is to blitz him or to send three, Atlanta is best when they send four. Aaron Rodgers will carve that up easily. So yeah, whoever has the ball last wins. Okay, the other game—I'm not sure how much that's going to be the case, but let's get talking about the Steelers at the Patriots. I actually think pressure, defensive pressure, is going to have a lot to do with this game as well. Because last week it was interesting that the Texans, they were pretty effective in rushing Brady. And even though the final score maybe didn't indicate it, it seemed like the game was feeling closer than the final score played to. But let's talk about the Steelers first. So their offensive line was really exceptional against the Chiefs. They allow the lowest amount of pass pressure of any of the eight playoff teams. Um, That seems pretty indicative of what they were doing throughout the regular season where they allow the third lowest pressure rate. But I was curious whether the Patriots would would have similar problems getting to Roethlisberger and disrupting what they were doing offensively. Do you have any thoughts about whether the Patriots may be better equipped to get to Roethlisberger or maybe do something differently to try to stop what they've been doing offensively? Nope. This team does not have a good pass rush. That is the weakness. Yeah. That is the weakness of the Patriots. They do not have a lot of pass rush. I mean, yeah, you know, they'll talk up Trey Flowers, and Trey Flowers has played nicely. But Vic Beasley has like 12 and a half sacks, and that doesn't mean Atlanta has a good pass rush. It means they have Vic Beasley. Right. So the Patriots have Trey Flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Jabal Sheer plays good sometimes. Chris Long is not a nice fellow, but, you know, this team does not have a pass rush. And I I don't expect for them to, to bring a lot of pressure on, on Roethlisberger, but partly that's strategic because they rushed only three on over 25% of plays this year, which is the most in the league. Yeah, I mean, it's not just the most. This is crazy. The Patriots rushed fewer than four rushers 25.5% of the time, and the closest team to them was actually the Chiefs at 19.9%. I mean, that's like a huge difference. And it's like the third straight year that's like that, too. It's clearly the case that Belichick is recognizing the, the limitation that his defense has and playing a different style to make that work. I find that really interesting, and it's going to be interesting to see how that strategy specifically works against the Steelers, who have such a good offensive line in the first place that they couldn't probably get there regardless. Yeah, well, here's the thing. I mean, because of Roethlisberger's ability to throw under pressure and with guys hanging off him and because of the quality of the offensive line, right? So the Steelers this year have been a slightly above average offense when you rush three or four. But they average 9.6 yards per pass when you blitz, which is third in the league. Yeah. So you don't want to blitz Roethlisberger that much anyway. I would think, yeah, I mean, I'm expecting to see that Logan Ryan corner blitz that the Patriots have introduced in the last few weeks. 
expect to see that a couple of times, but I would say for the most part, they're probably going to drop lots of guys into coverage. I would expect to see basically double coverage on Antonio Brown the whole game. It's interesting, in the first game, they really used just Butler on him. Uh, in, in the past, they generally have always put their top cornerback on the number two receiver and then doubled the number one with the number two cornerback and a safety. Mm-hmm. You know, usually Devin McCourty would really just shade to that side. Now, in the first game, they really just used Butler on Brown. But I wouldn't be surprised if they switched it up this time. And Butler was generally on Eli Rogers. And they mostly had Logan Ryan and Devin McCourty bracketing Brown on pretty much every play. Because if you just flood coverage and make sure you have two people on Brown, like the other receivers are not impressive. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, too. And remember in the first game, everyone, that's that's the one that Roethlisberger actually missed, right? So like that could have potentially influenced the Patriots' oh, decision-making or coverage. Yeah. So I'm with you. I think that the, the doubling up on, on Brown and using Butler elsewhere makes the most sense. Let's talk about this from the other perspective, because the Texans really got to Brady last week. Um, they generated the most pressure of any of the eight playoff teams last week. Is that something that the Patriots need to be worried about in this game with the Steelers? Well, I mean, you know, the Steelers have an okay pass rush, but it's not a great pass rush. They've been blitzing more in recent weeks, uh, which means, you know, they'll, they'll try to bring that up the middle pressure, and that is what the Patriots had problems with last Week, but they they don't have Whitney, Whitney Merciless and Jadavian Clowney to bring it with. Yeah. So, um, you know, D- Bud Dupree is a nice player, and and uh, you know Harrison, and you know they've got good inside linebackers, but I, I don't see them bringing as much pressure as Houston did. Uh, but I mean, that's what the Patriots had problems with last week. Yeah. So when I looked at the full season numbers for Houston and, and Pittsburgh generating pass pressure, they were very similar. So initially I was like, well, I guess the Patriots do need to be worried. But what I realized was the Texans really improved over the second half of the season, um, getting pressure. They were actually top 10 pressure team in each of their last eight weeks. So the Steelers, despite the win streak, haven't really changed how effectively they've been getting to the quarterback. So I tend to think that Houston was more effective doing that than Pittsburgh is going to be. Yeah, I tend to think, actually, it makes kind of sense, right? Because it kind of makes sense. Houston figuring out how to scheme without J.J. Watt mm-hmm. would get better Yeah, in the course of the year. Now, I'll give Pittsburgh this this credit, which is the coverage has gotten better over the second half of the year. They were 17th in pass defense DVOA through Week 9. They're 6th for Weeks 10 through 17. The pass rush has not improved, but the secondary has lots of young guys. They're playing well. Yeah. So let's spend some time talking about Deion Lewis, because Lewis, I think, was the hero of the Patriots' win against Houston. He scored a touchdown rushing, receiving, and returning in the game. And I feel like this was really the first you know, signature game that he's had since returning from his ACL injury that cost him the first 10 weeks of this year. You can really tell the Patriots have been ramping up his workload. His first four games back, he had just 19 total carries. Over the last four games, he's had 58 carries, nearly 15 a game. And so I was kind of curious about that too, Aaron. You know, my perception as as like a non-Pats fan is that the Patriots really skew what they're doing offensively to the specific matchup. But Lewis has been used heavily as a running back each of the last four weeks, and that seems more consistent than I guess I would expect. Do you have any thoughts about why the Patriots are relying so heavily on Lewis consistently in their games now? Well, I mean, because he has tons of talent, because he's very agile, because He's a better pass receiver than Blunt and a better runner than White. You're seeing a lot of a two-back set with both White and Lewis. 
So that allows you to do the whole put a running back out wide thing while also having Lewis in the background, uh, Lewis in the backfield to run the ball. So, I mean, listen, they blunt is the hammer that ends the game. But Lewis, they definitely would want to go with Lewis more early in the game and on first and tens, and it makes a lot of sense. The thing that would really worry me for the if I were the Steelers about this is broken tackles. So looking at the numbers, the SIS charting numbers, which I will remind everyone again, is available in the premium charting data uh, subscription on Football Outsiders. The broken tackles are among that that those numbers. Uh, the Patriots were, I believe, fifth in the league in broken tackles, and the Steelers were like 27th or something, as in sixth highest. Allowing the most. In allowing broken tackles. And uh, Ryan Shazier led the league, counting them with 25 broken tackles when no other defender was counted with more than 20. And so whether it's Blunt running over you or Lewis juking you and breaking your ankles, he, you know, this is a problem for Pittsburgh when... The Patriots want to run the ball. Uh, I think I think that's a that's a big issue this year. I will say that it, you know it's also to ask how Pittsburgh has done against running backs in the passing game. The answer is average, not really particularly good or particularly mm-hmm. bad. Interesting. So there was a just a fascinating article on the Ringer by Robert Mays where he was talking about the Patriots' backfield and how they used each of the guys. And the thing that really struck me as interesting about um, Lewis was how like how they basically use him in every situation. So like they'll use him on inside runs like Blunt. They'll use him as a pass catcher like White. And the fact that he's so versatile sort of lets them use their entire playbook when he's in the backfield where maybe they're more restricted with those other guys. And I, I was kind of looking up some stuff about this to just to see, and this was really interesting, I thought, that Lewis over the last two years is averaging 4.5 yards per carry on inside runs LeGarrette Blunt on those same runs is 3.8 yards per carry. And I get that Blunt, you know, it's it's more of a telegraph play. It's probably a higher degree of difficulty for him to run the ball inside. It's usually a shorter, it's usually different down in distance also. True. But like a lot of these Lewis runs were actually on first and second down too. These aren't just like the third and 15 run it to get some yardage plays. Lewis is actually an effective inside runner despite his small stature. So that was really interesting. I definitely recommend everyone reading that article. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a good one, and the running back diversity is definitely sort of a hallmark of the Patriots and a big part of what they do. Of course, Pittsburgh has one guy who can do all of that on his own. True. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the problem there is that the Patriots have a really good run defense. I mean, I, I, you know, Levy, nobody has a good run defense against Le'Veon Bell because he's Le'Veon Bell, but the Patriots have a pretty good run defense for the year. I mean, they were, they were, uh, fourth in run defense DVOA. So they also, they were number one in preventing long runs of 10 or more yards. So there's not going to be, I think, a lot of Bell scampering down the field for 50 yards kind of highlights in this thing. It's going to be hard for him to get that. So I'm guessing for, for you as a Patriots fan, Aaron, this is probably the team that you were most scared of. But like, how confident are you in the Patriots in, in pulling out this game this week? Kansas City was actually the team that I was most scared of. Interesting. What's the difference? Well, with Roethlisberger, he's been very inconsistent this year. Obviously, there's the high, you know, if he has a great game, Bell, uh, Brown, that's very dangerous. I was more scared of the Chiefs because they have better edge pass rushers and because Travis Kelsey. Yeah, yeah. But... Um, you know, look, th- this is not a fait accompli here for the Patriots. This, I think we give them like a 62% chance of winning in the, 
in the um, the playoff odds. One reason we have odds for Steelers a little higher than some of the other sites that do analytics is that we have manually adjusted for the Week 17 game with Landry Jones. Mm-hmm. Right, so something like five thirty-eight with the the Elo, they don't manually adjust for things, so they see that as a tight win. Whereas we know Landry Jones has not been Roethlisberger. So right. when you adjust for that, the Steelers are really the second best team in the league by weighted DVOA. They're the Patriots and Steelers would I would think both be favored in the Super Bowl over Green Bay or Atlanta because the Patriots and Steelers both. Uh, have defenses sure yeah (laughs) as great as the offenses are playing it's not like Roethlisberger and Brady are bad quarterbacks and the defenses for the Patriots and Steelers are much better than the defenses for Green Bay and Atlanta the other thing I would watch in this game though with the Steelers is they were 32nd in the league covering number one receivers now you know you ask yourself who's the number one receiver with the Patriots is it Edelman I guess I mean Edelman did not have one of the biggest number one receiver games against them back in week seven but he did have 60 yards on nine of 10 catches. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I mean, most of the teams with the big number one receivers, the, the, the problem is the Patriots don't really have someone like Terrell Pryor or Odell Beckham or Brandon Marshall. But, um, you know, Chris Hogan could be that guy. So it, it's it's sort of interesting to see how the coverage works for the Steelers. I don't know if that split between being really good covering twos and threes and awful covering ones matters much against the Patriots given how they use their receivers but it'll be sort of interesting to see it play out for sure I think this game actually both both of these games are really interesting matchups so I think it's going to make for some excellent playoff football this weekend Uh, meanwhile I think that pretty much covers it for us so thanks everyone for listening to the off the charts football podcast Uh, look for us for a Super Bowl preview episode in the next couple of weeks not entirely sure when it'll drop but It'll be there for you. Aaron, best of luck to your Patriots, and I I look forward to talking to you uh, either next week or the week after, I suppose. Sounds good to me. Hopefully we'll have a really good Super Bowl, and uh, I'm rooting for Falcons versus Patriots. That's where my rooting interest is this week. All right. Well, best of luck to you. Thanks, everyone.